welcome everyone. It's time to focus your attention and presence and listen with an open mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flying Sage podcast. This is your host, Michael Oliver. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legacy Journeys, a guiding practice I started two years ago. Bridging ceremonial, clinical, and therapeutic approaches, Legacy Journeys offers transformational psychedelic experiences towards embodiment and lasting change. We host individual journeys as well as retreats, utilizing a variety of different medicines. To learn more, visit LegacyJourneys.ca. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Flying Sage podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Flying Sage podcast. This is Michael, founder of the Flying Sage, and I'm really excited to welcome you to another episode. In this case, we're going to be looking at some live audio from one of our recent expansion seminars. These are events that we host once per month in Vancouver, and this episode is going to be focused on the topic of psychedelics and elite performance. And so for this seminar, we really focused on how psychedelics can be used in the context of athletics and entrepreneurship. Unfortunately, we weren't able to record the entire seminar, and so you're about to hear the second half of that seminar. And so just to fill you in on what you might have missed in the first half, we covered some questions such as what does performance enhancement even mean? How have you used psychedelics to enhance your performance? And do certain psychedelics have better benefits for certain things? What role does mindset and intention play when using psychedelics for performance enhancement? These were some of the questions that we covered initially at the seminar. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Flying Sage podcast wherever you listen to us. And if you feel called, leave a review. It really helps us share and expand access to this podcast for more people. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. This is a question for Dana. What is leadership trauma, and how can psychedelics help alleviate this state of being or condition? Okay. Leadership trauma. It's a new term that I've recently learned about. It's being proposed as a new category of I chronic trauma. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> And even though it's a new term, it's actually been talked about for a long time, I think most profoundly in Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, where he talks about, he interviews hundreds of CEOs and he talks about the struggle, which just reflects the psychological state that is particular to entrepreneurs and founders. And the reason why it's being proposed as a new classification of chronic trauma is because the symptoms and the definition mirror Bessel van der Kolk's definition of chronic trauma except in one way, which is time orientation. So chronic trauma is focused on the past. Leadership trauma is focused on the future. But both of them are a disease of not being able to be present in the current moment. But for entrepreneurs and founders are in like this constant state of fear. They've staked everything. They've staked so much on their business idea <clears throat> or whatever they're leading people into. They're leading their families into it. They're leading their investors into it. They're leading their staff. They're supporting their staff's families, their social reputation. Like everything is pinned on this one 
particular very public outcome and they're either going to be superheroes or they're going to be complete incredible failures and let everybody down. So we're walking this constant tightrope of fear and at the same time we're expected to perform at a really high level. So I can really relate to this leadership trauma and it makes so much sense with the people that I work with. One other thing it has in common with chronic, chronic trauma is again, like Bessel van der Kolk says, people with, who suffer from trauma, they can't talk about what's bothering them because trauma histories can't be told. And it's the same thing. Leaders are not talking about this constant state of fear that they're in. And so just having the opportunity to have it recognized to be in connection with others who may experience this as well, be supported, not just with psychedelics, but with you know, unconditional positive regard and non-judgment and understanding, and then have the psychedelics come in to open up all these possibilities that are basically those seven ones that I listed that showed up in, in the study in 2023, can have a huge, profound effect on just everything, making life easier and alleviating that incredible, paralyzing fear. Really interesting. As being a founder and running a company, a lot of these things correlate perfectly. The biggest thing that I've noticed is alignment. If you're not doing or building something that is not aligned with who you are, who you represent, what end destination you're trying to reach, A, for yourself and B, for others, and seeing the the longevity of the product or the business that you're creation, creating, if that's not there, then no matter what you do, that will always stay there. So I feel like alignment and clarity is that also correlated to divine trust. There's going to be fires. There's going to be things that come up. There's going to be clients and people that are mad and sometimes the whole world is going to turn upside down. But if you break things down and just you can do some breath work or just do some envisioning and you just see what is the ultimate end destination of all these decisions? If this doesn't happen, what happens? Oh, maybe this person's a little pissed off. Can we fix that tomorrow? Yes. Is it a big deal? No. Am I still on track? Yes. So it's, it's <laughs> so many parallels to a lot of the things that are talked, but I feel like ultimately is alignment at, at the pinnacle of all of that. Those are great answers. Thank you. Number 12, what kind of ongoing support or integration processes are recommended for individuals who have used psychedelics to enhance their performance? I just, I just think it really depends on the intention and what you're using it for. Yeah, I don't have a, a specific answer for that. I think despite the, I would agree with what you said, and I, I think despite the context, the community and people who are sharing similar values and perhaps are practicing a similar approach to the consumption of psychedelics within the context of the performance enhancement can be very, very helpful. When I started exploring psychedelics, didn't have a lot of people around me who were doing that. So it became kind of difficult to share and to integrate and understand like what was I learning, what was grasping it from it. So many earlier experiences, like when I was in my teens and early 20s, took me time to integrate those experiences because I didn't have a community around me. I didn't have people to guide me or elders or you know more experienced people so I'd say with in any context a community of people who are doing their best to uh, practice these things uh, with high values high ethics and having that support uh, with a similar mission similar values similar ethos I'd actually add to that just because as an athlete again you can't talk about this stuff this is actually the first time I'm talking about any of this publicly and most athletes talk about their experiences with psychedelics once they're retired. And it's important that 
somebody starts doing things sooner because this is like there's a lot of trauma around being an athlete. You push your body really hard. You do things that like hurt you constantly. You make decisions because you're like, well, if I just get this, like maybe it'll like work better. And then you hurt yourself, and then you beat yourself up. And if you have to do it in secret, and you have no community support, it's very very challenging. So this is also like for me, this is integration. This is sharing with people. This is like this is really really important. So anything that actually involves bigger community is incredibly healing. So thank you. I think just some simple terms are look for love, open-mindedness, and people that know it or may not know it that are godlike, that ask the right questions, that are caring, that are able to see through ego and still support. Those aspects and just trusting our instincts in those regards would, I think, answer that question. Microdosing can be an excellent integration practice for larger dose journeys, actually. They can help to reopen or keep open those new neural pathways so that you, you know, are continuously bringing that intention and the new insights and the new downloads to mind. I just want to say to Liz, I really admire your courage for speaking publicly about your use and letting people know that it's, as an athlete, it is okay to use it to enhance your performance as long as you stop by a certain time to allow to leave your body. Number 14, Ian, are there specific practices or philosophies you've developed to enhance performance, especially for those facing physical challenges like you did? Yes, <laughs> there have been. I'd say the first one that kind of stuck with me after my first experience was cut through ego. And a lot of times that ego is seen in the forms of anger, it's seen in the forms of resent, hatred, it's, it's holding us back and sometimes identifying that is the only thing that we need. And a philosophy that I've adopted that has helped me overcome my physical setbacks has just been to reconnect and be more aware, be exceptionally self-aware. What are the two or three decisions that I can do to make me better today? If that's you know, not doing the dishwasher. When the whole family depends on you to do the dishwasher, you don't do the dishwasher. Well, going back and doing the dishwasher, well, that'll affect a lot more people. And that will put me forward and that will just make me better. So that's the one thing that I've realized. The second thing I'd say to kind of add on top of that is nothing is impossible physically. It's completely entied within self-limiting beliefs. I shouldn't even be walking, let alone biking up mountains, doing all this Ironman, like doing all these things. And one thing that I've noticed that has helped me reconnect with that is how do I train in a truthful manner? So instead of putting on the nicest race shoes that you can buy and going and running 20K, taking a step back and being, hmm, my right side is weaker than my left side. So maybe I should focus more on grounding, stretching, breath work, and more mobility work to restore and eventually get up to speed with the performance on my left side, for example. That insight and having that foresight to delay gratification in performance is instrumental in being able to sustain yourself for performance at longevity and also peak levels of performance if you're facing difficulty with a physical condition. Thank you. Can you be a little bit more specific about what kind of physical challenges you were facing and how did you overcome them? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the biggest thing with, with my foot was there w is no outside stability. So just like a hand, 
as you land on your feet, you hit the, the palm of your heel, and then your upper palm spreads, and then your toes kind of lasp on like that. With me, it was just kind of like the thumb. So my ankle would always roll. There would be no stability there. And luckily, I met an amazing human. His name's Armin. He's right there. He introduced me to barefoot movement and mobility. And wearing barefoot shoes and restabilizing my footing, I was able to actually re-strengthen and redevelop those tendons. So just by wearing barefoot shoes, Field Grounds, Vivo Barefoot's awesome. There's a ton of other brands. Wearing shoes that are closer to the earth really helped me restabilize, especially by being taller and heavier. We're oftentimes seen in you know, sporty footwear, and that footwear is actually constricting our movements. That's the, I'd, I'd say, one of the core principles. The second one is, as, as simple as it sounds, just doing the hard stuff. From, I'd say, 8 all the way up until 14, I'd have to get on this board that was angled at 20 degrees. And if I didn't get on it, I would have to do either more leg surgery or back surgery. So every single day, being a young kid, not even knowing what the repercussions were of not doing this, I showed up and I got the work done. And sometimes that is all that is required of us. Time, alignment, psychedelics or no psychedelics. If you just show up and get it done day by day by day, and you're patient and you trust the process, that will pay enormous dividends. And just holistic health, right? Like, sure, you can be, like, I use this example all the time. You can have the best training program in the world. You can have the best nutrition program in the world. You can have the best friends in the world that are constantly supporting you and are that guiding light for you. But if your sleep is off, if you're sleeping four hours a night, five hours a night, and you do that consistently, you will not be healthy. Likewise, if you have the best trainers in the world, you're getting the best sleep in the world, but your support system is bad. You are not going to be healthy. So just making sure that some days are going to require you to just sit down and stretch or sit down and do some breath work instead of just constantly going and seeing that go, 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 go attitude that everyone is pushing on social media. That, and from my eyes, is important, but it is not at the forefront. And just having a holistic approach on rehabilitation and recovery and knowing that some things just take time and being patient with the process. Beautiful answer. That kind of flows into the next question. Can you share any success stories from your own experiences or those you've encountered regarding psychedelics and performance? This is kind of funny, but I, wouldn't, I would not recommend doing this. Like I was talking about a little bit, I love biking, love biking up the mountains here. We have Seymour, Grouse, Cypress, and UBC, I don't not really a mountain. But we're very fortunate to live in this beautiful place. And one of the things that I set my sights on around two summers ago was the Grouse to Cypress to UBC kind of like route, let's say. And I've done that route maybe three, four times, and I've never... I've kind of hit a plateau at around 25, 26 kilometers an hour. And then one day I decided, hmm, what if I did 2.5 grams of psychedelics, mushrooms, and I did this. Well, I PR'd, so I got personal records on every climb. I, <laughs> I got the highest, like, constant holding power threshold. And do not do this. I'm just stating from my personal experience. I got the best on the climbs. I got the fastest speed. I just, that was kind of an athletic endeavor that showed me that, you know, some aspects of pain or pushing through are, you're able to kind of circumnavigate that. You're able to reach new levels if you're smart about it, unlike I was. That was not smart. Don't do that. <laughs> but man, it sounds fun. <laughs> I've had some really interesting experiences with reframing how I feel about my body and how I perceive myself. I'm 6'1", and 
as I've been reminded many times over, people say, Liz is really good at throwing javelin, but she's kind of a klutz. She can't do anything else. And I've had about 15 or 16 ankle sprains. I've had Achilles tendonitis multiple times, bursitis, plantar fasciitis. I've been hit in the leg with a hammer thrown by the Canadian record holder. I have some damage to my lower body. But not only that, people said, well, Liz is just never going to be athletic. So we're just not going to teach her how to do athletic things. We're just not going to train her there. And that's the thing about the S-curve of improvement is you suck for a while, and then you get a little bit better, and then you get a little better, and then it kind of takes off. And then mastery is kind of like the beginner phase again, where it becomes difficult to become better fast. And we all have to just resensitize ourselves to that beginner phase. When I actually started realizing, I'd go through a practice, and I'd say, oh, I'm just going to figure out how to do this one thing. I'm going to figure out how to do this little bit of dancing footwork. I'm going to figure out how to do this handstand differently with like these foot taps against the wall. And I'm just going to see how much better I can get within one session. I'm going to see if I can move the needle. All of a sudden, I realized that I had all these limiting beliefs because I was just trying to complete a workout, do the reps, do the sets, do this hard thing instead of noticing the change. And that's what psychedelics really helped me do is tap into, okay, within this session, what is the change? I'm not just doing work, I'm trying to change my body. And funny story, I've been dancing for a year now, I take Afrobeats classes and I teach myself footwork and I do all this like body church stuff to try and figure out all these different movements. And I went to a concert last weekend and there was a guy on stage and my friend's like, wow, that guy's amazing energy. I'm like, he does have amazing energy. He basically danced a marathon on stage. Oh, he was the in-between hype man for the sets. And I'm standing in the crowd, I'm having a good time, I'm dancing, and he comes up to me, he walks straight up to me after his set, he says, hey, I'm like, hi, he's like, you have pink hair and you're really tall and you're easy to see from the stage. I'm like, thank you. He's like, you have a rhythm. And I was like, did a Nigerian hype man just tell me I have a rhythm? I was like, this is the best day of my life. And I was like, all right, I guess I've obviously made progress. So check, check, check. I think I told my story about my ancestors and my goddesses. That was good. I'll, I'll tell a story about one client I had who really had severe leadership trauma. But this is like actually common with a lot of clients I work with. But she was in pretty bad shape. She was pale and shaky all the time. She was in this constant state of fear. She had millions and millions of dollars invested in her company. She thought she was going to lose it. And she had lost all connection with her body, with her emotions, really dehumanized in just like getting this shit done and was also dehumanizing her employees as well. And so we did weeks of preparation for a psilocybin ceremony. And certain things happened in the ceremony, certain insights, certain outcomes that we won't get into all of those right now. But the most profound thing was the next morning she called me and she said, Dana, I don't remember the last morning that I've woken up and I haven't had this pit of fear in my stomach that makes me feel like I'm going to throw up from the moment I realize that I'm awake. And she said, it's gone it's just gone. I just woke up without it. I don't even know how to make sense of this, which was wonderful and gave her so much more spaciousness and ability to work through things. It's so beautiful as that was six months ago and I'm in constant contact with her. And to this day, she has never woken up with that pit of fear in her stomach again. For me, a success story, a psychedelic experience or a ceremony that really led me to the work that I do today, coaching men on eroticism. I believe I told this story actually when I was on a panel here some time ago, but I'll tell it again. I was in a Wachuma ceremony and I, I took the medicine. I went into this 
kind of non-conscious space for what felt like maybe 20 or 30 minutes. And when I came back into my body, I could just feel my root and the lower aspects of my body very clearly. I started connecting to this aspect of my body and it felt as though my root and the bottom of my body ignited with electricity and something moved through my whole being. And it was very pleasurable. And in that moment, I felt a lot of shame. I was like, this is not right. I'm in this ceremonial space. I shouldn't be aroused while I'm going through a plant medicine ceremony. But in that moment, I had this conversation. It felt like it happened in an instant where the medicine said to me, you're not supposed to be ashamed of this. Live into this and be proud of this. Embody it fully. And it completely changed my life because prior to that, I'd always felt worried that I, I never wanted to be the type of man who would be disrespectful in a sexual context, but that really held me back. It really held me back from trusting myself and my ability. It was deeply profound, and now I coach men on this type of energy, how to be integral with it, what it means to connect with their life force. And yeah, it completely changed my life, so I would say it was a success story for me. How has psychedelics affected your ability to ideate, manage time, get into deep workflow and achieve flow states throughout your day? For me, it's definitely deep, deep flow. And I think in sport, we often, when something gets hard or challenging, we get frustrated and we want to stop. And what this has allowed me to do is it's kind of sometimes you get this warm hug when you have the use of psychedelics where it's like, no, no, it's okay. You're just exploring. You don't have to be perfect. And this permission to not be perfect and explore allows you to get into deeper flow because you get to release that perfectionism. And it's been great in just in general, just considering myself me like, why am I stopping right now? Why am I feeling so much resistance to this, even outside of using psychedelics? And it's like, oh, I just don't feel very good at this. And I remember when I was retired, no longer retired, I remember I was getting a lot of anxiety. It was like every single day, like heavy, heavy anxiety. And I realized it was because I had not done something that I was great at in two months. I hadn't lifted. I hadn't thrown a javelin. I hadn't spoken for a while. I was writing, trying to build a business, learning how to build a website, learning how to dance, playing tennis, and I sucked at everything. And I was like, oh, it's because I'm bad at everything and I identify with being good at things. Many of us, once we're adults, we have a job. We're proficient at something. And so we experience very often when we were doing our job eight hours a day, we're good at something. The other hours that we're awake, we're just kind of you know, living our life. And so when we experience being bad at something again, we're like, ooh, don't like this. And that was really quite useful with the whole concept of being in flow. It's like you can be bad at something and just explore it. And then you can identify as a person who is learning something, not as a person who is bad at something. And that was very, very freeing for getting back into flow and things that are challenging and new to us. Good answer. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I know the question is how have psychedelics helped in those ways, but I think I don't really know how. All I can say is my answer is yes, it has. All of them. Let me explain the mechanism of action. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yes, it really has. Um, I love what you're saying, Liz. For me, it, it has allowed me to step into deep states of, of flow, concentration. But I think the most profound thing is it's allowed me to redefine what those things actually are. And this is kind of a common theme. I think we've a thread that we've weaved through this conversation that like, what does it mean to be at elite performance? We get to define this for ourselves. Of course, there's like a cultural consciousness or there's a cultural theme that would define that. But for me, there's been moments where I was like, yeah, I'm going to get into this deep flow. And then 
the the microdose is a macrodose and like emotions come up but that's what was needed that was what was necessary for me to actually go through emotional process or feel something that allowed me to do my work in a in a better fashion so there is a non-linear process to performance and i think this is what psychedelics has taught me and then i get to you know have that relationship and define it for myself awesome final question how do you balance the benefit the cost benefit ratio of psychedelic usage for performance optimization i just say it's supplemental that's one of the key words it's if you're trying to be an elite performer or build something you are the person that is building that you are not psychedelics are not building that and if you are stuck and if you lack direction or you need insights or you need some different lens, that supplemental lens could be what might help you along your journey. It's non-definitive, but it's most likely going to put you on the right path, assuming a lot of characteristics are pointing in that direction as well. So adding that layer on top of being a high performer, being a high achiever, is like goes hand in hand, yin and yang, kind of brings that balance to what you're trying to see and what you're trying to get to, from my experience. Yeah, I mean, everything has a price. And we know this in sport. And we often say, people say, oh, you know, I can only stretch today. It's like, no, stretching is important. It's just as important as the lift. Sleeping is just as important as being awake. Just because we feel like it is not energetically demanding does not mean that it's not important. And, you know, just like working really hard is a cost, it makes you tired, sleeping costs you time. Everything is a cost. And same thing with psychedelics. You know, it's, if you're high all the time, you're not going to know how to navigate life very well and your brain's going to function differently and then you're going to have to deal with that. And that has its own cost. So you have to find the balance of what is your work, what is your rest, and what is optimal for you. And also what is optimal for you today will not necessarily be optimal for you in a week or in a year or in a month. We change, we become different human beings. We've had an experience today that makes us now all think differently about one thing and we are forever changed by it. So we are new people. So I think that's really just asking yourself on a regular occasion, not like, well, I used to do it this way, so why can't I do it this way now? We change all the time. And I think that's really important when you're thinking about the cost benefit. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I pretty much echo what you guys are saying and kind of summarize it up, summarize it in that don't forget that you are the solution, you are the healer, you are empowered, and psychedelics are simply a support and a tool to be encompassed within a whole package of support and community and tools and technologies. And the, the risk is forgetting that and thinking that psychedelics are the solution and the healer and the power. So well said. Yeah, I, I believe it's you know, riffing off of all of you. It's really important to see it as this way of upgrading ourselves like we are the thing not looking to it to be panacea where this ah this is going to fix me or you know make me into this better person and then it's a dynamic relationship it is a relationship uh, it's not just something we're taking and it's doing something to us but we're in relationship with its consciousness and that willingness to see maybe what it shows us about our ability to perform and do we have a narrow view can we open our mind up to what it's teaching us about how the non-linear aspect or relationship of uh, performance enhancement. But yeah, very much agree with what you all said. So that's all our questions. I just want to say a big thank you for all of our panelists. And my biggest takeaway was the, lead the leadership trauma. I learned a new term today. And I think 
maybe what Dana is trying to get at is that psychedelics, specifically macrodoses, can really give us a sense of why are we doing this and getting clear on the mission and the purpose behind all the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears, and the trauma of trying to make this all, all work and pushing this rock up the mountain. So thank you for sharing, everyone. Thank you, Liz, for your courage in coming out. Thank you, Lion. Thank you, Ian. And now we're going to open up the floor to questions. And there's going to be a walking around. Gabri Gabby or Michael is going to be walking that mic around. Dana, just going back to my question about MDMA, you spoke to some intentionality around using LSD for certain things and psilocybin for certain things and MEO-DMT for other things. Would there be a certain intentionality you would place upon using MDMA? Well, first of all, when I was talking about LSD and psilocybin, I was specifically talking about microdosing. Don't microdose MDMA. That is the one medicine that you should not microdose. But in the larger dose journeys, yeah, it's, it's as we, I was going to say, as we all know, maybe we don't know, but uh, MDMA is a real heart-opening medicine. So just to um, open your heart to yourself, to the people in your lives. Yeah, I think that's what I would use it for most, is just heart-opening, introspective questioning. Yeah. Hello, hello. I forgot the names. Javelin. Liz. Liz, sorry. Javelin. Whoa. That's a good one. You meant you, I'd be curious for this for others, but you specifically were talking about training with cannabis. Usually when I consume cannabis, the last thing I want to do is sports. So I'm very curious around dosage, strains, et cetera, around like there's a, you know, what to, what to look at there to, as a way to get started. Yeah. For one, don't take Indica's at night. You're going to sleep. For sure. <laughs> so that's like a really good rule for one. I do like Cushman's is great. It's a hybrid, K-U-S-H mints, and it's just, you can buy it. It's in lots of stores around here. That's really good. I do like Sativa's for energy, but I do like Indica's if you're having deep body experiences. It's really great also if you're tying in music. Um, I think I remember the other one. Sage and Sour is another really good one, but that's an Indica. So if you're going to do it, if you're going to take an Indica, I like to say, have your setup ready to go. If you're going to do yoga or something, have the yoga mat ready, be in your clothes, have the music going, and you know, be prepared to do that. If you're feeling tired, maybe don't take an Indica. That's a really good place to start. Dosage, it depends on what you're trying to do. Again, if it's, you know, Saturday and it's noon, like, and I want to do some really big mobilization and opening, sometimes when I consume cannabis, I kind of forget how I used to move. And I completely lose this inhibition of like, oh, what will this look like? Because there's no one else around and I don't really care in that state. And so it really allows me to explore different ways of moving without any previous I'm a klutz or I'm unflexible or I'm not strong in this way. It's like, well, I'm just going to figure it out. And it's, it just gives me this like deep dive into the capacity to figure it out and knowing that I don't have to be anywhere else that day. I'll end up doing yoga for three hours sometimes because I'll end up playing with handstands and then I'll do some kind of stretch and then I'll go dance for a little bit. And it's just this, and then I'll go back to doing like warrior pose. Like, oh, I figured that out now that I did these five other things because I just followed this idea. I think the really big thing that I really stopped doing those. I don't follow a specific yoga practice anymore. I start somewhere and I'd say, okay, I'm going to start here and something's going to come up and I'm going to notice a restriction or I'm going to notice that I don't know how to do this very well. And then I say, okay, how do I make it better? 
and I'll notice maybe my hips tight, so I stretch it, or maybe my core is not activating, so I do some core work, and I go back forth, back forth, back forth. And that's what really helps you figure things out, is just going in a certain direction, setting intention for maybe something you want to learn, and then being open to following what your body is physically telling you. That's what cannabis does. It lets you tap into your body and says, oh, I don't like this. And you're like, oh, okay, well, what do you want? And that's really the conversation that it allows. Awesome, thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? Yeah, over, yeah, over there. Hi, my friend and I have been doing some vision boarding for fun recently. Talked a lot about the difference between the ego and the, like the head and the heart. And I just wondered if you had any ideas for us on, because I think when I was training a little bit when I was younger as a hockey player, like power visualization became really apparent. And I just love a couple of your thoughts on that. How could I make a great vision board? I actually have a really good one for this. Make it multi-sensory. Don't just make it visual. What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? Who is there? If, you, if there's someone within that vision with you, if you're doing, doing something that you're like, I'm going this way, who are the people in it? How do they make you feel? How would you feel if you built a company with your friend and you did it for like months and months and months and you did this thing together and you were bonded? What would that moment feel like? And so really bringing in your emotion Paint the picture as vividly as you can. Inhabit it. Because if it's just, how is it going to physically feel, or what does it look like, oh, I'm visualizing myself over here, that's not, you're pretending you're somebody else. And that doesn't work. So really, like, putting yourself in first person, making it as hypersensory as possible, and tapping into the emotional state that you want. What is the emotional cocktail that you would experience in that moment? So you're not just experiencing, if you, like, if I win the Olympics, yeah, I'm going to feel joy. I'm going to feel connection. I'm going to feel gratitude. I'm going to feel confidence. I'm not experiencing one emotional state. So if you're going to make a vision board, I'd say, if you're actually going like, to literally write it down, write down those emotional states. Write down the things you see, smell, taste, hear, everything. And understand those emotions. Don't just think, I know what confidence is. Like, I didn't know what gratitude was. We have pretty poor emotional literacy in the way that we don't actually, we, we kind of think we know what something is, but then we realize we don't have a great definition of it. So if you feel an emotion is important to you for your emotional cocktail for that moment, then know that definition inside and out, and then try to induce it. Try and induce that feeling and just sit in it and be like, wow, okay, now that I understand this, what would it actually physically feel like? We know that feeling of like immense joy, it like floods our body, our nervous system just like, you just want to smile because you're so happy. And we also know the feeling of something awful happening to us, and it just makes us want to shrink, and it makes us exhausted and tired. And those are two very like extreme examples, but there's everything in between and all the nuance. So that's what I put on the vision board. Can I add one thing? The thing that helped me the most is the more complexity you swallow in whatever it is you're trying to create, usually that will give you more depth in your business. So it's like if you have a product or service and all your competitors are solving this problem, if you're able to identify what is one problem that they're not solving with the same product and you swallow that complexity with holism, so by adding on another service or layer to whatever it is you're trying to create, that projects more value. So the more of that you do, the better off of a service you will have and the more people you will attract. So that's, that's what I did, pretty much. It's like you, you find all these problems. I, I started with personal training, and then I trained people, and then I realized, wait a second, the moment my client goes home, 
I don't know what they're eating. I don't know how they're sleeping. I don't know who they're hanging out with. I don't know how much they're drinking. How do I change that? Okay, what if I give them a plan on nutrition? Okay, sure, now they kind of know what to eat, but do I know that they're cooking their food? No. So instead, we train with them. We have somebody cook their food. We have all the data testing in accordance with the food that they're supposed to eat. And there's an RMT goes to their house. They have a house cleaner so that cooks and cleans all these things. So all this layers of complexity that you're adding on to whatever vision it was that you had and looking at whatever it is you're trying to create and see what someone else isn't doing. That gave me the most amount of clarity. I would consider making a mind movie, which is basically like a video version of a vision board. And basically the same concept. It's a movie. Use some music that's really emotionally riveting for you. I've used this process is really powerful and also when you go into the process don't make it thinking I hope this works go into it thinking this is a reality that exists and I'm forming it into more of a clear reality and knowing that it won't be exactly what that is like you it won't be exactly how you envision it but it will occur and it does exist I think this is more powerful than trying to say oh I'm gonna see if this happens it already exists it's happening somewhere in time and you're just bringing that closer to you. So this is more powerful than trying to make it happen. It's already happened. Okay, hello? Yes. Just a quick question for this. You mentioned about your five MEO like experience, right? You said about, you know, the, you feel the energy coming up and then you got blocked around the uh, throat area. What kind of dosage were you on with the five MEO? I'm not, 100% sure. I had a, one of my many brothers is a uh, psychedelic assisted therapist. And so he had a vape for it. And so I did one inhale and then lay down and I did three rounds. And he upped the dose every time because it was this like, okay, how do you feel with this dose? And the first dose was like, I kind of just felt like I chilled and like took a nap, which mm. I'm not a napper. So that was like, oh, nap, that was nice. And then the second one was like this stuff moving through me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting energy. And it wasn't a visual experience. It was completely visceral, mm. which was very, very interesting. Uh, and there was no, like, I didn't visit any places. It was all just, like, feeling energy within myself, feeling my own energy, feeling my, like, for lack of, well, that's a great term, for, like, all terms, like, feeling my chakras open and close and flow and seeing where everything was. And it was just kind of building this energetic map of myself. So I think you go until you feel like you've reached a place and like some people I think do up to like five or something like I don't yeah dosage like five goes or something sometimes so it's like it just depends on when you're done you're done I was I was good at three right that was a great experience for me and I was like you know what no I'm good with that for today my goodness I'm gonna sit with that like that's that's enough so yeah okay other questions over there Lele and then over there just wonderful talk thank you so much I want to ask you, I, you are all kind of like people that I want to like look, look up to and model after in many ways. And, but I'm wondering, can you talk about like a moment of pain or adversity uh, or struggle that like almost broke you and how you kind of overcame that? And what did that mean for you? You know, yeah, I like to hear about the, yeah, that part, basically. Such a good question. Yeah, I'll go back. I think I was 19 or so, whatever the age is when you first step into university. And I was doing my first year of university. I was failing two courses. And I had my license taken away for speeding. I continued to drive. 
because I didn't want to drop out of university, and then I got arrested for driving without a license. And it was a really low point in my life. It was incredibly, incredibly low. Like I had to drop out of university. I, uh, it's a different law system, like traffic or vehicle law, to other felonies. But it broke me. I had to lean. I had to get help from my parents. All these types of things, like you know, starting in university, thinking, ah, I'm going to be this well-educated human. But it, that series of events actually shifted my whole life and my whole career into a path I would have never anticipated. So, yeah, it really broke me down, but it showed me that I just believed in myself. I believed that this was what was needed for me to, to grow at that time. But it was a very challenging time. <laughs> Got out of it, though. I think I'll talk about my experience in my last corporate position, actually, CCO and head of investor relations for a publicly traded psychedelics company. And I was, like, Everything on the outside was ticking all the boxes of success and career and finance and everything was good, but I was ex horrible anxiety about what I was doing and I, I couldn't understand it because this were things that were, I was always very passionate about and always really enjoyed doing in my career. And I was miserable. I was working 18, 20 hours a day, six, seven days a week, at, but without the passion and that was replaced by anxiety and a super impactful assisted psychedelic experience just really I guess one of the biggest highlights was that in that position the investors were my boss and what you want to say to investors about psychedelics is very different than what your heart wants to say about psychedelics so I was not in alignment but it was that experience in itself there's a lot more to it but that had me resign from my position six weeks later and dive into training, apprenticing, and moving in a heartfelt direction. I don't have any psychedelics except for that one that I kind of already talked about, but I mean, I think we all get injuries. Everybody has injuries. Everybody's got a back or a foot or a something. And I remember I hurt my back very badly in 2013. I, I tried to compete. I did one meet, and it just felt like, you know when you go to the fair and you try and like use a hammer to hit the thing and then the light goes all the way to the top? It felt like someone was taking that hammer to my back and the, sp the pain traveled all the way up my spine and I'd start to black out as soon as I tried to throw. And I thought, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can barely get out of bed. Like, I, I barely walk, I warm up, and then I just basically take a ton of Advil and practice. And like, not good. So I thought my career was over. I thought, <sighs> like, okay, I'm 23. How am I going to live my life? And the fourth physio I finally got referred to, someone wanted to cut me open. Somebody said, you're screwed, too bad. Another person said, it's your pelvic floor. It was not, like, finally this person figured it out. And it had to do with my ribs. It wasn't my hips. It was actually my ribs were pulling my hips out of alignment because the fascia was all mucked up. But I remember she said, we're going to get you back. And I was like, okay. So I'm doing rehab, and we're six months in. And normally, like, I used to train 10 times a week between Monday and Friday. And it was throw and lift 10 times each per week on top of sprints, everything else. And all I did for six months was rehab. The heaviest weight I lifted was 10 pounds. And I'm on the floor and I'm doing my tricep extensions. And it's like, I'm literally just trying to isolate my triceps and get this weight up. And I've got 10 pounds shared between my hands. And I just start crying because I'm so frustrated. Like, I haven't done anything fun. I don't get to lift. I don't get to throw things. There's no med ball. There's no sprints. There's no jumping. There's nothing exciting about movement in my life. I feel like everything is this controlled little one pound, like, minutia of movement. I hate it. And I look at my physio and I say, like, LJ, like, I used to split jerk 240 pounds over my head. And I'm doing a 10-pound tricep extension. How am I supposed to, th like, how am I supposed to get back to where I'm going? 
She said, you are never going to be where you were before because we're going a completely different direction. And so that was really the moment where I was like, right, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And after 10 months of rehab, I was finally allowed to throw a javelin again. I was only allowed to run when throwing the javelin. That was, that was a caveat to that. It was no lifting, nothing else. Two months after picking up a javelin and after losing 20 pounds of muscle, I broke the Canadian record. I threw four meters further and I was fifth in the world. And there's always another way to do something. Just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it's not possible. Well said. That was cool. Yeah, my mic drop. Yeah. I'd say from an early age, and this, I don't think it's one thing. I don't think it's like just one moment or it's one event or it's, you know, one injury. It's, imagine you've already achieved whatever it is you want to achieve. Imagine that's already a reality. And it's up to you now to prove yourself despite every single odd that's in the way, despite an injury with your foot, despite you know, lack of mobility, scoliosis, surgeries, operations, every odd stacked against you. The beauty in which and whatever it is you're trying to get to will overcome every pain. Because every pain ultimately can be physical or mental, but it is a lesson. And as much as I can, I try to remind myself of that. As much as my ego is throbbing and it's like, ah, I'm tired. Ah, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I don't, there's no direction. Nothing's working. It's been months. Keep going. And that's that, I think, that grit component that we talked about with like, okay, mushrooms are great, supplemental, but you just have to have that grit ingrained within you. Obviously, don't burn through karma. Don't push through feelings. Take breaks, realign, re-envision, re-shift, think of new perspectives. That is ultimately what goes past pain. And with reality, the, the funny way that it is, like you just, oh, sorry, <laughs> the funny way in which it is, you just forget. Like I easily forgot all the bikes I've done, all the 200, 100, 320 kilometer bike rides I've done. You just, you just forget about them because they all just collect into now. So yeah, it'll get better. It sucks sometimes, but it'll get better. All right. My question is about psilocybin and the dosage when exercising in like a more intense way. Like I I like calisthenics and just hanging on the bar, like on a microdose or like, you know, moving into like the one gram range. Like sometimes I find myself just hanging there and be like, how long can I hang? Or like trying to do a head or handstand against like a wall, you know? And like, I find that sometimes I'm worried about going overboard. Like, I don't think a Viking ever was like, oh, I should scale out these shrooms and then go to battle. Right. Like, so I don't know. Like, what are your guys' opinions on this? Thank you. I think it's about comfort, right? It's like, how comfortable are you with these calisthenic practices that you've done? Is this something that is intuitive to you? It is, in, it is something that your brain has already registered as a secondary movement, like breathing, like touching. If that is there and you're in a safe environment, there's always things that you can do to refrain from that fear becoming realized. You know, putting a mat on the floor, not going as high, not doing the riskier movements like a flagpole or something, and then working your way up from the base and then working more towards those heavier movements. And if you're looking, one of the easiest or best things that I've noticed personally is like grounding or just staying close to the ground, stretching, things that are, have no risk association attributed to them. Going into depth with those and then stepping away from that and then doing like the cool biking calisthenic stuff You'll notice a much more comfortable jump. Yeah, that's it. Like start with comfort and scale up. I like to say My rule for learning anything is your comfort zone is your 
you can only go 10% beyond your comfort zone for many of us before it becomes the fear zone. And when we are in fear, we move differently than when we are in curiosity. We tighten up. We, we literally have a different motor pattern. So just playing with like, where am I still curious? Not, mm, I don't know if I could do this. Like, that's not the time and place. It's, and then every time you come back, so you expand your comfort zone is now at 110% of what it used to be. That's your new 100%. And then next time you come back, you might go 10% beyond that. But you just play within that, you know, one to 10% beyond your comfort zone. And that's where you can still be safe. If it's on the ground today, it's on the ground. If it's flying through the air, it's flying through the air. Only you will know. I got nothing. Hmm. I think you guys covered it. I, I have done a lot of psychedelics while doing handstands. And yeah, I can say curiosity is super important. Don't try to get yourself, or what I'd recommend is not trying to be like, I have to get to this deep psychedelic state and have the deep psychedelic handstand, whatever that is. From experience, I've tried to do those things. Ah, oh, if I just do a deeper dive, the handstand will be more profound. <laughs> Uh, make it playful, be curious with it, and you should uh, see it as a relationship. Ask the medicine. Ask the medicine. Be still. Go into meditation. Ask what the practice is going to be. That's how I would go about it. It's very smart. I'll guide you. All right. I think we have time for maybe two more questions. We've got one over here. My question is for Dana. I just want to ask if there's or what situation with a client did you have that sticks with you the most that you think would whether it was healing or going past the wall they couldn't go past or just because you really it touched me the story you said about your last client where about that anxiety in her stomach is there anything else that's like as profound that you'd like to share with all of us Kind of freedom, free cancer, how you want. Hmm. That is that one was super profound for me. I have to say, I, I can ask Michael and I guide a lot of clients together. Can you think of and we we guide a lot of like executives and leaders and stuff. Can you think of anyone that's like they're always impactful, right? They're always hugely transformational. But are there any ones that stick particularly with you? from the work that we've done? So Nothing's coming right to mind right now. Yeah. No. Drawing a blank. Let's talk later when I'm not like on stage trying to think of it like in the moment. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Maybe we can come back to that question. Give some time to think. Does anyone have another question? No? Oh, there we go. Thanks, Grace. Hey, that was amazing, guys. Thanks. Uh, I'm curious with, you, you spoke about alignment. I think a lot of performance is doing stuff that you actually love doing because then you'll just outperform everyone. I'm curious if you guys have ever had high dose that has made you question what you're actually doing and then kind of shifted the course of your life because of that. You said you had that, but because I think many people chase things for external reasons or whatever it is. And I'm wondering if you ever realigned through an experience. Yeah, well, you heard my big one, walking away from a 30 plus year career <laughs> and all the financial stability and bonuses that go along with that <laughs> was pretty life-changing and profound and the best thing that I've ever done. So I have a lot of love for psilocybin. <laughs> I think I just, it massively changed the way I didn't beat up my body so much. Because what I'm trying to do for this Olympics is I'm trying to show that, I always try to say like, work smart, not hard. And yes, there is points to work hard. You want to push yourself, but it's like a joy to push yourself in that moment. And then there's 
those days where it's like, I want to come out of this because I was like, this is about coming back and teaching people that if you connect to your emotional state, if you connect to your community, if you connect to something greater, if you know your purpose, what is your purpose in this community? How do you serve your community through what you are doing? That guides my workouts now. It doesn't help my community if I do something really dumb because I want to satisfy my ego and then I'm burnt out and then I injure myself and then I don't go. So when you start, when I started actually asking that question, it was like, oh, my workouts are very different now. I basically, I don't say on Mondays I do this. No, I'm a woman on a natural cycle. Like this Monday is going to be very different than two Mondays from now. Like my energy is different. My hormones are different. My hydration is different. My mood is different. My headspace is different. How could I possibly expect myself to do the same workout? So now when I work out, I say, I have four workouts. I have day one, which is like hard and explosive stuff. I have day two, which is tricky. And I have day three, which is running and some other stuff. And then I have day four, which is yoga. And then I have off. And I wake up and I say, okay, how do I feel? I do some of my biometrics and I say, oh, okay. Well, like, I kind of feel like just doing nothing today. And I'll do nothing and then I'll get antsy. I'm like, you know what? I could go for a run. And then I'll start doing like, I'll do like 80% of the workout. And you know what? I'm like, did I move forward today? Did I learn something? Did it take me one step closer? Does this serve my community? And it's really stopped me from burning out because I know that if I'm burnt out, I cannot serve my community. And that shifted everything for being an athlete. Alignment for me personally has been found, yes, with like the community aspect, who you are and what you do, what you say you do and how you do it. Anything that falls out of that pattern, and it's fine, we're human, we make mistakes to kind of jump outside that bridge, but you'll notice that the dopamine hit, if you do something outside of that, will be very high, but it will crash right away. So it's just having that foresight, like, hey, if I stay up an extra two hours and binge watch this series, even though I have work and all these tasks tomorrow because I deserve it, well, yes, maybe you might, but there's a time and a place to do both. There's a time and a place to relax, and there's also a time and a place to go to bed on time and wake up. Kind of a very elementary example, but just being very forthright with yourself in those aspects is all that you need to see immense progress kind of take off exponentially with whatever it is that you're working on. That lack of foolery, even though there's no guidance or you don't know what you're working towards, you're just working on something, that's, that's ultimately it. It's just staying on track with that. I'll just come back to your question because I had a little bit of time to think. Oh, it's, a, it's just a good story. We were working with a client. He's a, a very successful business person who actually has a brain tumor. And when he came to work with us, he gave us each a little like wooden carving that said, fuck, each of us. And he told us this story that he'd realized through his brain tumor is that, you know, when we're young, we have a lot of fucks to give. And we give them here and we give them there and we're giving fucks all over the place, right? As we get older or when things happen in our lives that make maybe make mortality come closer, you realize that we have less and less fucks to give. And it's really, really important to know when and where to give those fucks. He was awesome. And I think one of the things that came out of his journey was realizing that he really didn't need to give a fuck about work in this period of his life that he's in with this condition that he had and it was within a few weeks that he had been able to resign from his position and focus on the things that he really did give a fuck about. D-Y-F-W, dispense your fucks wisely. He, he had a whole manifesto, he gave us the whole give a fuck manifesto and it was awesome. I think we have time for one more question, if anyone has anything they'd like to add, any last questions? And If not, I'll probably turn it back to the panel here for a moment. Thanks everyone for being 
so patient and amazing listening. I'll turn it back to you maybe briefly, and then I can share some things at the end too. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for the panelists. Thank you, Ian, Liz, Dana, Lion. It's been wonderful. I learned a lot today about how to improve my own athleticism. It's something I really aspire towards. I really admired Liz's work. I know that, Brian, you do a lot of like movement stuff on your Instagram account as well. I've always really admired that. Love that you shared this new term today called leadership trauma. I'm going to meditate on that tonight. I almost cried when you told me that client story of yours around waking up not having that feeling in her stomach anymore. I think there's something that really resonated with me there. So thank you, and uh, thank you for the audience for receiving. Yeah, thank you. Just want to echo that gratitude there. Angela shared uh, gratitude for the panelists. Thank you all so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with everyone. It was a really touching panel. I was also having lots of moments similar to that in certain cases in the back listening and just being really touched by each of your shares. So thank you so much for for sharing and yeah, being very vulnerable about your experience. And I thought it would be nice just briefly here for each of you, if you'd like to share one offering that you have coming up, if you have an offering coming up that maybe people would like to know about, that would be really wonderful. And maybe we can start with you. Offering wise, if you're interested or know anyone that's interested, like I briefly skimmed over it, but I, I run a health automation company. It's optimability.com, O-P-I-T-M-I, ability.com. It's the only offering that I have is that. And just if you're curious more about, oh, this is actually really cool. If you're curious about weight gain, weight loss, sleep, lifestyle habits, building core habits, like the science behind all of that, the only thing that we have on that is the food pyramid. But if you go to my Instagram, at eonpv, and in my bio, I've created a completely free resource that kind of highlights every step. There's like five free cookbooks in there. There's a whole, like, there's a whole shabako, a whole list of everything. Completely free, no sign up, no email list, nothing. It's just in there. So anything health related, shoot me a DM on Instagram if you need help with anything. And I'm more than happy to show you all on the right path. So, yeah. I do a bunch of things. I speak. I recently, though, I host Body Church. And this is my way of giving back to the community while I'm still actively training. And it is on at 4 p.m. on Sundays in Chinatown. And it is an hour and a half of teaching people how to create their own internal map of their body. I like to say it's like we're your constellation and we are brightening up the stars so that you can create your own map and you can feel into things. And it's very cathartic. It's about learning how your body wants to move instead of making it move a certain way. And I love doing it. You can find it on my Instagram at javaliz, not java like coffee, but J-A-V-E. And yeah, this is, I'm an unfunded athlete. So this is a wonderful way to support me on my journey and to really know one of the things that really helped me jump to the next level. So it's a fun experience. Okay. I believe that psychedelic education should be free and accessible to everybody, as many people as we can. And so how many of you guys have heard of the Clubhouse app? How many of you guys still use Clubhouse app? <laughs> It was really, really big during during the pandemic. It's it's an audio-only app for iPhones and Androids. So during the pandemic, I started a community on there that's now about 3,000 strong. And we host rooms, which are like shows, three mornings a week, 9 a.m. Pacific on Monday, Tuesday, no, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And on we bring in world-class experts, leading experts from around the world to take deep dives into specific topics. And we also have open forum share and care room, so community support there. Wednesdays is entheogens and the divine feminine, alternating with the divine masculine. Thursdays is psychedelic microdosing 101, and Fridays is psychedelics 101. So if you just 
download the Clubhouse app, look for the Flourish Academy. You can join our community there. The shows are kind of like old school phone-in talk radio style. So like the first 45 minutes is like podcast style with the experts and then the other 45 minutes is audience participation. So you can tune it in in the background or you can actually participate. And there's about two and a half years of replays on the app as well. So literally like every topic around sensuality, spirituality, psychedelics is, you can, you can find it on there. So check it out. Such cool offers. As I mentioned, I am in the, the president of Human Potential Academy. We run events and we have one coming up this Saturday called Hika, Hika 5. It's like a holistic, immersive experience. We're going to go through some dyads, some somatic-informed movement, an ecstatic dance, a guided breathwork journey, and a sound healing experience with the option for a microdose. So if you'd like to uh, partake in that, you can go to, what is the best place? Human Potential Academy on Instagram. Or you can find me, Karu, C-A-R-E-W underscore embodiment on Instagram. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, another round of applause for our panelists. All right. So one of the few last small things here, we've still got the space here for another about 25 minutes or so, so feel free to mingle, hang around. If you guys arrived early, you might have found a little card on your seat. And so we put around some little pamphlets for the Spirit Pump Medicine Conference. Maybe Helena can hold it up for everybody to see. <clears throat> and sorry, the, the code's not actually written on there for us, but if you use the code, the Flying Sage, or sorry, Flying Sage, Flying Sage, you can get 30% off. And this is another really wonderful offering happening this weekend, another option to consider. It's a three-day conference that happens every year in Vancouver, and it's actually one of the longest-standing psychedelic conferences in the world, especially in North America and especially Canada. There's a lot more that popped on the scene in the last few years, but this has been going on for, I think they're in their 11th or 12th year now, something like that. So yeah, it's a really beautiful convergence of luminaries, speakers in the psychedelic space. I'd really highly encourage you to check it out. The Flying Sage will be there the whole weekend. We'll have a booth, so come say hi if you do come. And yeah, if you forget the code or whatever, just reach out to us, we'll, we can offer you a discount. And so yeah, I wanted to share that because it's not it doesn't happen all the time, right? It's once a year. So definitely do take a look at that if you would like. And I think other than that, just letting everyone know that we've got a lot going on with the Flying Sage these days. We've got about four or five events a week now. And so on top of these seminars, we also host a bunch of things. And I'll just briefly share some of those with you. So we've got on Tuesdays, we host integration circles. So this, these are free events for anyone. It's where you can come in a safe space to share about your psychedelic experience or maybe find some support in navigating, like a higher dose experience that you've had. And we have rotating facilitators each week. Wednesday mornings, we're doing cold, plunge, cold plunges at Kitts Beach. We have like 100 people that show up right now, which is crazy. It's a big challenge that we're doing, and we're going to start the challenge again in January. So if you're curious to uh, learn how you can involve some community accountability for cold exposure and mental well-being. Definitely come check that out. You'll see Liz there. You'll see Lion and Brian there. You'll see Ilan there. So yeah, come on out. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure that thanks. It's not for everyone, but it can be really fun. So that's one thing. And then another is we have four ACO DMT breathwork every Thursday. And those are a microdose event. We've also launched a Wachuma breathwork now every other Monday. So that's happening next Monday. Breathwork ceremony, conscious connected breathing. So we do a lot of breathwork. We do a lot of cold exposure and also sound baths is another thing too. So I'll leave it at that. We've got some, a New Year's event as well. That's the last thing I'll share. 
We've got a New Year's event coming up, which will be really wonderful. It's called Emergence. We did it last year. It's going to be a mix of ecstatic dance, potentially a cacao ceremony, combined with some maybe breathwork, diets, all the good stuff. And so, yeah, we'd love to see you there too. I think that's it. Lots of gratitude to all of you for showing up. We'd love to hear your feedback to you on this event. Like at the end of the day, come chat with me. I'd love to hear what you think. And yeah, if there's any way that you want to get involved more with the Flying Sage, also please come let me know. We're definitely looking for support. Everything that goes a long way in helping to continue with our mission of making psychedelics more accessible to more people. So thanks everyone again and enjoy the rest of your evening.